Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, folks, today is June 1st, 2020. Coming up on Roller on the field, the protests continue all across the country uh, as a result of the death of George Floyd just one week ago. Also, another black man shot in Louisville, Kentucky, by the cops causing even more unrest. We're going to talk with Congresswoman Gwen Moore on today's show. Also, Reverend Dr. William Barber. Folks, uh, it's a packed show. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Mark on filter. Let's go. Folks, Roland Martin here. I am in the nation's capital. Uh, you can see me here. Um, so 
Uh, oh, let me hit it back. I'm sorry. I'm here in the nation's capital uh, where the protests continue uh, all re regarding uh, the death of George Floyd one week ago uh, in Minneapolis. Now, uh, if you see down here, so one of the reasons why you might be saying, okay, why am I outside? Because uh, what has happened is the police here have placed a perimeter all around a White House, a several block radius uh, in order uh, to block off protesters. So what you see down the street there, you see uh, we're uh, on um, 50, well, you know, 17th Street right now. Uh, I am literally, uh, it's uh, so the 17th and L in D.C. Then you have K Street. Our offices are located on K Street. So I'm unable to even drive to our office. And then what you can see is you got people who are coming from all directions. Uh, they are uh, folks who are protesting from all different directions. And so they've been coming. And now the crazy thing is there's a curfew in the nation's capital. There's a curfew here uh, that's supposed to kick in uh, at 7 p.m. A lot of these folks are going to be ignoring that, uh, that curfew. And so protesters are showing up. They're going to be protesting again tonight. Uh, here in Washington, D.C., uh, there have been people who have been coming down the streets uh, with signs, you name it. There's so many other people uh, who simply uh, are trying to get out of D.C. Uh, to go to work. Many people came back to work uh, in Washington, D.C. today. Uh, and so, uh, just like other cities, we're seeing lots of different protests. Uh, we're going to be talking in a second. Uh, folks in the control room, let me know uh, when Congressman Gwen Moore is there. I'm going to try to make my way to our studio. Uh, to do the rest of the show there. Uh, and so that's going to happen. Uh, and so I'm going to be walking down there in just a second. Uh, but again, folks, uh, you can, and also you can hear uh, the helicopters. If I can show them, you can hear the helicopters uh, going right now. Now, understand you rarely ever hear this in D.C. because uh, you have restricted airspace in Washington, D.C. Uh, because of the White House. But uh, that, those are police helicopters. They were roaring. Uh, last night, uh, we left the office last night uh, around 1230. Uh, there was a significant, significant police presence in the nation's capital. Uh, and so just like uh, in other uh, places all across the country, we're seeing the exact same thing. Again, uh, as you can see, you've got uh, a number of folks uh, who've been showing up. And so, like I said, we've been uh, sort of just tracking this. Uh, I told you guys, uh, our office, I mean, literally, is in uh, the heart of this. Our office is located just three blocks from uh, the White House. And so I'm going to be walking up the street in just one second. Folks, do we have Congresswoman Gwen Moore? Okay. All right. So let's, so, so, so. All right, so let's do this here, folks. I got in my panel today, I got uh, Brittany Lewis, uh, who, of course, uh, uh, of course, a uh, political commentator. Also have Cleo Monago, uh, who's a behavioral uh, expert as well. Uh, first of all, I want to go to both of you. What we are seeing, obviously, all across the country, we are seeing people uh, who uh, who have been protesting. I said this last night in our special, Cleo, uh, that uh, this is not this is just not going to all of a sudden stop. Uh, it is going to continue all across the country. The number of people who have uh, been uh, shocked by uh, the death of George Floyd just one week ago. Yeah, it's going to continue. I imagine it's going to continue until there's a clear verdict regarding what's going to happen with the murderer. I'm concerned and very intrigued about finding what the end game is here. There's, as you know, I mean, there's even protests about this happening in Copenhagen, in Berlin, in Britain, and in numbers that are quite large. 
So it was interesting to see this. My perspective was that people are either ashamed because of the murder that was on tape or ashamed because they're being associated with it because they're white. So I'm also trying to find out what is the end game. Clearly, this has been amazing, but I think social media is part of the issue here in terms of people being responsive to that such a high-profile event. One of your guests compared this to the Arab Spring and to Tiananmen Square in China. And I want to say that I, I don't think it's the same thing because those groups in China and in the Arab Spring have more, they're more homogeneous and have more cultural cohesion than people in the United States. This is a diverse group of people with different agendas involved in this event in the United States. So it's real different and relatively scattered, though it looks like everybody's fighting for the same thing. But I'm not sure that's, that is a fact. Um, Brittany, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I don't think it's going to start. I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Um, I think that we're definitely seeing an awakening. Unfortunately, this is not the first time, the last time. These uh, murders have been happening for centuries. And I think yep. people are tired. And I think coupled with what's happening with COVID and how laid bare the system has failed us, and I mean failed us as Black people, failed us as impoverished people, um, I think you're going to continue to see unrest for a long time. I think this goes beyond just the death of George Floyd and so many other Black people. I think this goes to the violence that we experience every single day. It is a response to the violence of the state. It is a response to the violence of us being mass incarcerated. It is a response to the violence of us not having adequate health care. It is a response to the violence of us not having access to money, to food. It is all of the above role, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. You know, I, I agree with y'all on that. As I said, you see, folks, I'm walking up uh, 17th Street uh, towards K Street, uh, where we uh, where we do our show, and as you see, uh, cops are blocking off everything uh, to establish a perimeter around the White House. They are keeping people away from the White House as best as they can. Several thousand people have been protesting the last several days here uh, in uh, Washington D.C. There are the people, of course, who are uh, who are parking. So as you see right here, uh, you see uh, the police car. The push of traffic all along that way. Uh, and then right here, as we come up on 17th Street, uh, you're going to see very few uh, pedestrian cars are allowing to come down these streets. There's a significant, a significant police presence. Uh, so you're a combination of Washington, D.C. police. You have U.S. Secret Service. You also have National Guard, uh, D.C. National Guard uh, as well, uh, who are all involved in this. You see, some of the uh, destruction that took place here, some of the buildings that have been uh, boarded up. But you see that uh, right there. And so uh, a lot of different uh, things have been going on, obviously, all across uh, this city and this country. As you see right over here, look how many police cars are literally lined up uh, along that street uh, right there, which is uh, 18th Street. As we come down here, we come down here again to uh, uh, where, where we are. I just want to give you a sense uh, of what this looks like. Normally, this is one of the busiest streets, uh, K Street in Washington, D.C. And so the police have shut everything down, all the way down to everything down, all the way down to uh, 14th Street. So we're on 17th Street. You see people who are crossing way down there. And we come back down here. 
and they shut everything down to 20th Street. So it's basically, it's a six block radius. You see, of course, where you have uh, police on their bicycles uh, right there leaning up against that building that's boarded up. Again, you see um, all those police cars in this park that's right across the street, National Guard truck that's sitting right here blocking the street off. And then if we go down here, um, I'm not sure if these businesses actually had windows knocked out or if they simply boarded them up uh, as a precaution. Uh, so you actually uh, see that. You see more buildings that are uh, boarded up over here as well. Uh, and so some folks are taking the precautions. You see uh, literally no traffic is coming down here uh, except for uh, the police traffic that's coming down here. Uh, this is the sort of thing that we're seeing all across the country. Cleo, uh, as folks are looking at these protests, uh, and again, people are angry, people upset. They actually want justice served. The question, though, is that we still have a police officer, uh, only one who's been arrested, and people still ask you, what about the other three? Well, as we all know, Roland, the white supremacist police system has never been logical or responsive to justice. And as we already discussed at some other point, the chief of policemen in, in, that, in that area gave these people third-degree murder, gave this one individual third-degree murder charges and manslaughter charges, which are an insult, given that the man was murdered. So they're being apprehensive as they have been with all the cops who have murdered black people. So this is just the same old play going on, going over and over again. So it is what's to be expected. And what I think they're hoping happens is that this go, gets so drawn out that people pay no attention to the other three that were watching and just stay focused on the one guy that was arrested. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think people are going to be uh, protesting until they find out what happens with the other three people. Obviously, things have changed, Brittany, in that um, the, the, the case has been taken out of the hands of the Hennepin County District Attorney, and now Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, he is now uh, leading the prosecution of these police officers. So for everybody who's watching, before you comment, Brittany, I'm walking towards 16th Street, and you're going to see this is a straight shot down uh, to uh, the White House. As you see here, the cops are blocking even this street. Normally, I come up this street to go to our office. What's going on? Who the cops? People are just like Channing. Wow. So, folks, so, so what's happening, folks, is, is again, uh, as you see, that's the, you see the Washington Monument there. Uh, if I step this way, you will see in the middle of the street here, you will see how people all gather. That's the White House at the end of this block right here. Uh, and so there are a lot of people who are retreating backwards. The cops are pushing the folks away. I told you there's a 7 p.m. curfew here in the nation's capital. It is 6.31 right now. Uh, and so they're not going to allow tonight what happened last night where there was a burning vehicle near uh, the church, near the, near the Supreme Court, also near near the White House. And so you see the number of people who are here. There's some people who are coming out here to protest, but a lot of these people are actually leaving. And so that action by the cops right there uh, to actually fire those rubber bullets 
uh, and to push people back is causing a lot of these people uh, to leave. And so we're going to certainly be monitoring uh, this to see uh, what happens uh, further, how many people are going to be staying out here, and how many people are actually uh, going to, to try uh, to leave. Uh, guys, so, so what happened down there with the cops? A bunch of cops to start charging? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So y'all moving backwards or y'all still staying or are you leaving? I got you. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Take care. All right, folks. Again, like I told you, the curfew's at 7 p.m. Uh, and that's what they um, are going to be strictly enforcing. Uh, we're seeing curfews all across the country. Curfews in Minneapolis, Chicago, Los Angeles, a number of these cities. Uh, earlier today, Donald Trump was on a phone call with the governors, and he chastised them. He told them that they have not been taking control of their cities. They've been losing control of their cities, and they need to have a much firmer grip. And what you also see here, you see how these bike officers have lined up to prevent people from coming down uh, coming down K Street right here as well. And what they're doing is they're forcing any of these protesters who are retreating, they're forcing them to actually come down. They're forcing them to come down or go up 16th Street. They can't go up K Street. And like I say, at the end of this block, uh, literally just two blocks ahead. So if you go past uh, this street here, you go two more, you're literally in Lafayette Park, which is, sits right in front of the White House. Um, and so that's where we are outside. Folks, uh, do we have uh, uh, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber on the phone? Control room, do we have Reverend Barber on the phone? Okay. All right, folks, so let's do this here. Uh, we're going to take a commercial. Here's the deal. We're going to take a break. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, literally run inside of our building uh, and then get Mike up to do the show for the rest of the set. I just wanted to give you all a sense of what's happening uh, here uh, in Washington, D.C. So we're going to take a break and roll them out unfiltered. I'll be back in a moment. Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. asking me about terms some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so, I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So, I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool and so I tracked down the it took me a year to find a company that did it uh, and so uh, they make these about 47 different colors and so I love them because again as men we don't have many accessories to wear so we don't have many options uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square and what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in in the pocket you know it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also, unlike other, because if I flip it and turn it over, it actually gives me a different type of texture. And so therefore it gives me a different look. 
So there you go. So uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these Shibori pocket squares, we have them in 47 different colors. All you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who's a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, it goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. All right, folks, uh, so I'm back uh, in studio. Like I say, I was out there uh, in the streets, streets there just trying to get into the building. It was very difficult uh, to even get into here. Streets were blocked off uh, left and right. Uh, and so that's what's uh, going on there. Uh, let's do this here. There was a news conference today where the, where the independent autopsy was done. It was ordered by the family of George Floyd. And they found that his death was a homicide caused by asphyxia due to neck and back compression and led to a lack of blood flow to the brain. Here is some of that news conference that was done via Zoom. We think it is essential that the truth comes out about the manner and the exact manner and science as to how George Floyd was killed at this time. I will call a man that really needs no introduction. Um, Dr. Michael Bowden is one of the more, foremost forensic scientists in the world, in the world alive today. He has worked on some of the most high-profile autopsies in the modern era. He has a background in doing forensic pathology, not only for the police departments, but also for the social justice uh, engineers like myself and Tony. I could go on and on about Dr. Michael Biden, but I think it best to hear him explain the autopsy and put it in context as only the great Dr. Michael Biden can. Dr. Biden. Thank you, uh, Ben. Uh, the autopsy shows that Mr. Floyd had no underlying 
medical problem that caused or contributed to his death. This is confirmed by information provided to uh, Dr. Wilson and myself uh, from the family. He was in good health. The compressive pressure uh, of the neck and back are not seen at autopsy because the pressure has been re released by the time the body comes to the medical examiner's office. It can only be seen serious compressive pressure on the neck and, and uh, back can only be seen while the pressure is being applied or when, as in this instance, it is captured on video. And uh, in this instance, we can see after a little bit less than four minutes that um, Mr. Floyd is motionless, lifeless, and when the EMS arrive and put him on the stretcher without any CPR at that time, um, during the uh, ambulance trip, the, uh, he did not respond to CPR and did not respond to, to cardiac shock. The cause of death in my opinion, is asphyxia due to compression of the neck, which as Mr. Crump indicated, can uh, interfere with blood flow and oxygen going to the brain and compression of the back, which interferes with breathing. When he said, I can't breathe, unfortunately, Many police are under the impression if you can talk, that means you're breathing. That is not true. I am talking and talking and talking and not breathing in front of you. So the, the concept that a person says, I can't breathe, like Mr. Garner, like in this instance, uh, means you should take it seriously. Um, and I think that... Uh, I think that I've finished. Thank you. All right, folks. Obviously, that uh, that independent autopsy is counter to what the independent medical examiner office found. As I said, people have been protesting. People have been saying uh, there has to be justice uh, in this case. Remember, us right now on the phone is Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. Of course, uh, he is with uh, Repairs of the Breach, Poor People's Campaign. Reverend Barber, first and foremost. Uh, I, I got to get your thoughts. Just, just, just sit for us. Just, we ran a lot of your speech from yesterday, uh, where you uh, address a letter to the country. I just came off the streets in D.C. trying to get into the building. People are still trying to show up for protest. Cops began to charge towards folks. Many of them began uh, to take off. Uh, and uh, we see what's happening in Louisville. Cops fired into a crowd there, kill, killing a black man who owned a barbecue place. And he often served cops for free. Uh, people are just outraged, and I, I don't. I keep telling people I don't think we're going to be seeing an end to this anytime soon. Your thoughts? I don't either, because what we're seeing, Roland, is a form of massive public mourning. Uh, it is about George Floyd, and it should be because his death represents so much death that goes on in the community at the hands of police. 
But remember, our people are also dealing with 100,000 people dying, thousands of them that didn't have to die, according to studies, but because of this president's intentional uh, acts of, of denial, uh, it happened. People are being forced to go to work <clears throat> in lethal situations. They see a country that can call out the National Guard in 24 hours, but can't arrest cops who murdered a man in 24 hours, can't provide PPE and health insurance in 24 hours. People are, are at their ends with financially. They don't know how they're going to make ends meet. They've watched billionaires make $400 billion in the last 50 days, and yet they don't even have a living wage, don't even have health insurance or sick leave. And then you see this lynching, this girl, a 17-year-old holding a camera, and you see a man literally die. You see him beg, you see him call for his mother. This is a watershed moment. It is a moment filled, though, with all of the death-dealing uh, realities of, yes, this kind of racism by, by police, but also the ongoing policy death is combined, is compounded. And then you have a president whose first response to people saying something's wrong and protesting, which we have a right to do, when the looting stops, the sh starts, the shooting stops, he picks that up from way back in the 60s and is basically saying, I'm going to use this moment to try to consolidate my power like George Wallace, Richard Nixon, and Bull Connor. In a sense, Brother Roland, we can't go home now. I mean, you know, people have to protest. We have to exercise our First Amendment, right? And in a sense, we would be a shameful country. We'd be in a worse situation if people were willing to just ignore it, if nobody screamed, if nobody said anything. But we are in a very serious time. And then you have people that are trying to infiltrate legitimate, uh, militant, nonviolent uh, protests, and they're trying to infiltrate it and turn it to something else. Uh, we are in the midst of a very difficult moment, made difficult by a president and a Senate who have just refused to address the people and have pushed them down and hit people and passed policies that have caused death on top of death. And it's a watershed and folk are saying they've had enough. We, 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 there's a scream coming up. In the Bible, Roland, your wife knows this. You know, there's a sound Bible verse that says... There's a sound coming from Rama, Rachel refusing to be comforted because her sons are no more. That's what we're seeing in the public square. Uh, Reverend Dr. Barber, we um, the White House tried to assert today that that Donald Trump has indeed spoken to the nation. Well, that he actually he hasn't. Uh, some of his advisors, according to some reporting by the New York Times, uh, is that he. Um, uh, they they uh, are concerned that he's not trying to address this issue. One of the things they said is because if he does, he has no policies to actually put it out there. April Ryan also tweeted out that the White House uh, had floated this idea of wanting to have a listening session with black leaders. Uh, have you heard from the White House? Has anybody invited you to such a conversation? No, they have not. Um, I responded to April's question that no, they had not, and, and, and that what we were focused on. But if they were to respond, we, it could not be us going in just on his term. But there is a way to do it, and that and we sent out terms that they could do. I said my co-chair could go. We'd have other religious leaders. And for me, it would have to be diverse. I'm not going to let him isolate the black people. It would have to be impacted people there. 
They have to be the Senate leader, the Senate minority leader, the House speaker. Uh, and it would have to be on camera. You'd have to be there. It'd have to be open and no pre-taping and then going in closed session because this man is constantly trying to find a way that he can play the last card. He, he can't play the economic card. He can't play that he's a wise card. He can't play that he did right in the pandemic card. The only card he has now is the law and order card. So he's trying to fan the flames and then make himself the savior. It's a card that has been played, as I said, by Richard Nixon, Bull Connor, George Wallace. He's trying to play it in the 21st century. And, and we're not having it. We're not falling for that anymore uh, in this situation. Uh, and what is worse, though, um, Roland, is that, you know, when Richard Nixon was out of control, Republicans went down and told him he had to leave. <laughs> you don't have that today. Instead, you have had people that have allowed him, they have so, uh, enabled him, and now he's out of control in the midst of a time when there's so much death that people have seen so much death now, there's nothing left to do but to scream and to protest and to stand firm. I, j just a minute ago, you know, he, he started speaking and he's already made the White House look like a fortress. And isn't it interesting, Aroldan? He, he talks so bad, but then he hides out in a bunker. He says he wants the society to open back up because he wants people to spend money. But when the society opens back up because people want to exercise their constitutional right, he wants to close it down and even say, that if somebody is a protester uh, and they throw something, they get 10 years in prison. He so bad wants to be Putin or somebody. But this is not Russia. This is America. And people are going to stand up. Um, there were a number of uh, civil rights leaders today who were on a uh, news conference call. And they called for a national day of mourning uh, for George Floyd and to also address this issue. Uh, was that national day of mourning date announced? I don't know. You okay. know, I had talked about it. I hadn't heard others talk about it. We, you know, we, I had actually put out there that we needed to do something in that regard. Uh, I didn't know about, you know, that particular call. Uh, I don't know about any date having been done. But it can't, even then, it can't be a date just a day of mourning. We got to be real careful. That if it's going to be something, it needs to be like Isaiah 58, where it's not just a morning where we sit down and pray, but it's the fast. Well, what is the Isaiah 58 fast? It is the call for the nation to stop injustice, to fast from injustice, to fast from uh, racism, to fast from uh, not paying people the 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 um, uh, what they're worth when they work. It's the fast from from oppression. That's the kind of fast and the mourning that we need. And I know in the Poor People's Campaign, we are actually have we we had planned. Uh, to, to do a, a special piece on next Monday. I'll talk to you more about it, but on next Monday uh, evening, we're going to have more details coming out about it. I hope that we can all come together, you know, in this moment, because it is a very serious moment, and, and, we, and, and we have to be, as the old folks say, aware of the wiles of the devil. Uh, we really have to listen to the screams and what we're hearing, because that's where the hope actually lies, is in the screams. We have to figure out a way uh, not just to tell folk to, to certainly to calm down because, you know, we didn't tell the in the revolution, you didn't tell the, the, the people in the Boston Tea Party to calm down. What we instead have to turn these screams into public policy. That's what we have to turn these screams into change. For instance, in the case of police, you, you murder somebody, you get arrested, 
you get uh, uh, prosecuted, you go to prison. Uh, we need to put that in law. If you're an accessory of it, the same thing. If you hire policemen and you let people on your force and you don't properly investigate them and they're connected to hate and hate groups and then they commit a crime, then you, that department has to owe those families money. We need to codify this stuff in the law. That's what's going to begin to make a difference uh, in this country. Just like we, need, we want to stop people from dying, we need to codify health care for everybody in the law. We need to codify living wages in the law. That's the only thing that's going to ultimately help. We have to call this nation to mourn, but to fast from its injustices. That's what the scripture says. Uh, and actually, according to this press release, it says we call for on the nation to join the civil rights community in observing a national day of mourning on Thursday as George Floyd's family prepares for the painful task of laying their loved one to rest. Okay. We will spend the day in reflection and prayer for the racial reconciliation and an end to the violence that is ravaging the nation. Well, I, I think I think that's an important piece. We'll certainly be a part of it. You know, he's going to be buried. Uh, here in, um, uh, no, I think the service is here in North Carolina. Well, yeah, well there'll be well, his family in Houston uh, and there. So yeah. if they actually, right. there'll be multiple services. There'll be something right. in Minneapolis, North Carolina, and Houston. Okay, so I talked to Ben Crump today. I'll be joining in North Carolina. I think that is a, a powerful thing. But I also think that when we talk about violence, we, we cannot follow Trump's rhetoric. If we say that we want to end uh, the violence, uh, and that's the, by the infiltrator. Then we have to do like Coretta Scott King and talk about violence. She said, when asked about violence, violence is denying people health care. Violence is denying people union rights and living wages. Violence is denying pe children education. And then she said there's another form of violence, and that is an apathetic attitude that refuses to address the other forms of violence. So in this moment, we have to be very careful in how we frame our language. And you know the best place to find that language is right in the scriptures and right in the Constitution. The best place to find it. So I'll be joining, we'll poor people's campaign joining on Thursday. I also hope when we say we're doing it, it means everybody because if you look at these crowds, these crowds are not just black right. that are standing up. They're black, they're white, they're brown, they're Asian, they're First Nation, they're gay, they're straight. And the piece we plan to do next Sunday with poor and impact, I think next Monday, is going to be encompassing all of those people. It's not in comp competition with anything that's being planned. It is continuation as we push toward June 20th, 2020, when you'll be there with us as people of all different race, creeds, colors, and sexualities gather to push the issue of addressing poverty. Uh, yes, indeed. Reverend Dr. William J. Barrow, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take care now. God bless you. All right, folks. This has been, um, as you... Listen to that, Brittany and Cleo, as you listen to, again, these leaders talk, of, t talk about uh, a, a national uh, day of mourning on Thursday. Uh, there was also uh, many others who were speaking out today on this issue, what needs to happen, what needs to be done. Uh, I want to play right now uh, something uh, from Senator Kamala Harris. Often where there Guys, having an issue with the video playback, so if y'all can go ahead and get that taken care of. I uh, uh, want you to, um, right now, I want you to go to my uh, iPad, folks. This is a lot, this is, uh, this is, you don't have the iPad. All right, I don't know why you're not seeing it. Uh, this is a, uh, I'm, what I'm about to show y'all is a, a live look uh, of what's happening in uh, the nation's capital. Uh, yeah, fix this here because I'm getting a signal here that it is indeed working. 
you got it now. Okay, so uh, do this here. Uh, this is uh, a live look, folks. This is from the folks at Now This, uh, how the police have assembled uh, here in uh, Washington, D.C. Go right to it, please. How the police have assembled here in Washington, D.C., uh, how they uh, line up in these streets. Uh, the curfew in Washington, D.C. is going to get uh, enforced in about five minutes. Now you see, uh, you see that you hear loud. Guys, go ahead and turn the audio up, please. Folks, this is literally happening um, one block from where we are right now. Uh, it is happening right now, uh, like no more than two blocks. Uh, go ahead and leave the audio up, please. Uh, you can see uh, the cops uh, on the mounted police officers. You see the cops that are behind them uh, with their, um, with their um, riot gear on. They are moving this crowd away from Lafayette, Lafayette Park which is right across the street uh, from the White House. They are also firing rubber bullets into the crowd. The street that they're running down, folks, in a second, they're likely are going to be running by uh, the corner where I was just standing um, uh, outside. So, so, so you see the smoke bombs that they're dropping. Uh, you see those. Uh, then all, then so when you hear that, those sort of explosions, that's what that is. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start. Um, when you hear the pop, pop, pop. You, I mean, you're literally hearing the rubber bullets uh, that are uh, that, that are being uh, fired by the police into the crowd. You're hearing lots of explosions out there, obviously. <laughs> They've made it clear that they're going to be enforcing this 7 p.m. curfew. Their goal is, uh, what, what the cops have made clear is that what they want to do is they want folks away from Lafayette Park, away from the White House. Now the cops are making uh, a second push. A second push. They're now uh, on uh, on foot. 
Folks, we're going to keep monitoring this feed. Uh, I want to go ahead and play this video of Senator Kamala Harris speaking earlier today. Often where there may be one bad apple, there's a whole bunch of bad apples. And that is why it is important that we have investigations of pattern and practice of discrimination where we have a concern that that may be occurring. We also have to restore the United States Department of Justice's responsibility to oversee and enforce consent decrees, which only come about because there has been a showing and proof of discrimination, of misconduct, and a court then has a responsibility of overseeing the reforms. These are the things we must demand. We must demand a national officer misconduct registry where, again, we bring transparency to the American public and we have the ability to know who and where they are when they are carrying a gun and a badge if they've been found to have committed misconduct in their jurisdiction or another jurisdiction. And in closing, I'll just say that we cannot continue to have two systems of justice in America based on where you live or the color of your skin. That's why the people are in the streets protesting. That's why we are, we are witnessing the pain, the anguish, the frustration, and, and, and the anger. And yes, the anger. Uh, because when people have had to be subjugated, when people have been made to feel less than whole, by a system, you will see the kinds of response that we are seeing today. So I call on us to, to do everything in our power. And of course, I join for a national day of mourning. And I thank you again, the National Urban League, for bringing us all together. Now, folks, uh, what is going on, as, as we told you, uh, you have uh, in um, one point there, you had um, Donald Trump, who was out there speaking, uh, so while people were, 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 were protesting, uh, he actually went to the Rose Garden to say something. Let's see what the hell he talked about. Go ahead, go to it, guys. Thank you very much. My fellow Americans, my first and highest duty as president is to defend our great country and the American people. I swore an oath to uphold the laws of our nation, and that is exactly what I will do. All Americans were rightly sickened and revolted by the brutal death of George Floyd. My administration is fully committed that for George and his family, justice will be served. He will not have died in vain. But we cannot allow the righteous cries and peaceful protesters to be drowned out by an angry mob. The biggest victims of the rioting are peace-loving citizens in our poorest communities. And as their president, I will fight to keep them safe. I will fight to protect you. I am your president of law and order. So folks, here's what's going on. I'm, I'm not playing the rest of that bullshit. Uh, according to uh, various folks on the social media, Alexi McCammon, who was with Axios, she said, sources tell me park rangers are clearing Lafayette Park. Uh, park rangers are clearing Lafayette Park. I'm going to actually um, uh, come back to this here. Uh, and play it for you guys, uh, try to go live to it. 
So apparently uh, park rangers are clearing Lafayette Park so Donald Trump can walk to St. John's Church from the White House soon. Uh, what soon? So, so wow. So he wants to walk to St. John's to what? Fake prayer? Fake prayer, Brittany? struggling right now um, with his mixed messaging, but more importantly, just not understanding what's happening in this world. This isn't solely about police violence. It is certainly about the death um, under the hands of the police, but it's also about the type of violence that the Dr. Reverend was just talking about. We're talking about violence. Um, you know, poverty is violence. Lack of health care is violence. Lack of resources, not having jobs, being on the front lines and dying as a, as a result of the coronavirus is violence. So to hear any, you know, interpretation or any or him try and tell us that he's going to fight for us, we know that's not true. Because if he was to fight for us, he'd be fighting for us, you know, as a people all across the board, not just when it comes to police, police violence. Um, I, I'm just not with it. Uh, what a joke to listen to him say, Cleo that he's an ally of peace of all peaceful protesters. Give me a break. Trump speaks in cold. And as you turn him down, he talked about the poor, the poor people and how he was not going to ignore them. I think he's talking about poor whites. I think he's concerned about losing that part of his support because he had so much of it when he first ran. And I think he was really talking to those poor people and trying to let them know that he still has them in mind. But I want to say something that I hope doesn't get on people's nerves. Brittany, you and others, including Kamala, keep talking about these crowds as if they have a clear level of critical analysis. Hold tight one okay. second. Hold tight one second, Cleo. So apparently, according to uh, Bree Jackson, happening now, Trump is actually walking out of the White House and heading to a nearby church. Uh, Bree Jackson reports this moment. This moments after law enforcement used tear gas to disperse nearby crowds taking part in protest. He's going to St. John's Church. Yeah. And you know why, Roland? Because of ego. Because he was cowering in a bunker the other day. He knows it. Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Fake Alpha, Mr. Never Served in the Military, nothing. And so now, because of his ego, because he has to feel like a man that he can walk across the street, they cleared the street with that row of horses that you just showed. So that he can feel like an adult, so he can feel like a man. That's what this is about. That's why he's walking across St. John's Church. This is why he just fake told the nation he's going to use the military as a police force, which he cannot do, which is illegal, which, which he will not do, because he cannot do it. It's illegal. So that's Donald Trump's ego. He wants to get into the act because he has nothing to do with this. This is a governor's, uh, mayor's moment right here, National Guard moment. And so because that news got out that he was cowering in the bunker, now he's got to walk across the street to St. John's Church. So this is, go to my iPad, please. Jennifer Jacobs posted this on Twitter literally moments ago. Uh, this is Donald Trump after that Rose Garden walking out. Looks like he's with Mike Pence. Let me just zoom in. Um, you got Secret Service. You've got, uh, obviously, cabinet folks and others. And so, yeah, so this is the photo of him walking out of the White House gates over to St. John's. <laughs> Talk, and, and you're absolutely right, Lauren, uh, is he's ticked off that the story made him look like he was weak, not only in the bunker, but them turning the lights off on the White House grounds as well. And so Cleo, uh, Mr. Tough Guy, he constantly needs his John Wayne moment. Well, 
the president, as he's called, has made himself an easy target to joke about. But his audience buys a lot of what he does. Well, of course, of course. And that's because and, they, for them, it's, we're voting for John Wayne, tough guy. He's going to exactly. keep all of them in order. His law and order speech at the, at the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, his carnage in America speech, uh, wow. the inauguration. Remember, Cleo, President George W. Bush was quoted as saying after his speech, that was some weird shit. Yeah. But however... As I've said before, Donald Trump has not created a new Trump card, if you will, or a new way of approaching who he looks like and how he looks to his public. He's the same dude. And frankly, some of his tactics have worked. So we're here with more clarity from our perspective that we can actually critique him and call him ridiculous. But his strategies have got him to where he is. Yep. So I take them very yep. seriously, regardless of how ridiculous they look. But something I was saying earlier that I want to finally say is that the implication is that these people out in the street doing this protesting have this critical analysis regarding racism, the coronavirus, neglect that the president has shown in terms of taking care of this issue and the hundreds of thousands of people who have died because he didn't pull the trigger and step up. But I was at a protest that was literally a block from my office yesterday, and I had talked to people, particularly black people, but white people as well. And all I'm hearing about is what they did to George Floyd was wrong, that that it was bad and what he, what he did was wrong. They're not talking about all these other issues that a lot of the, what do you call us? They call us political analysts and they call us people who actually give the news, but they're not talking about these things. Only the people who are in the leadership or who are taking political positions who might get a microphone are talking like this. But a lot of the people on the ground are not talking like this. And also, I want to say that there are mixed agendas. Reverend Barber talked about that there were Asians, Latinos, Native Americans, and black people. There's some truth to that in terms of the representation, but not everybody's on the same page. And there also are some infiltrators. So I think it's important at some right. point that we remove the fog and talk about the different types of people who are involved in this and what they really are thinking about. The black people I spoke to are mad about George Floyd. They're dealing with the cumulative effect of having dealt with so many bodies being killed by the cops, but they don't know what to do other than have rage. There is no end game. There's not enough talk about the policy issues that Reverend Barber mentioned in terms of going to the polls and, do, and feeling like you can do something about this. A lot of people have yet, including those who are in the street, to connect the dots, to look at this as something else that I'm doing in addition to voting, in addition to dealing with policy and making systemic change. Well, the question that that's, the question that's not that, necessarily happening for people. Look, the question that comes up here, the bottom line here, Lauren, is that we're dealing also with electoral politics here. And what right. this, this whole video here, he wants to send the signal to his people, I'm the man, I'm big and bad, you see me, how I'm going to, say, I'm going to the church, it was damaged the other, uh, last night due to a fire, uh, that's all this is. Uh, and yeah, he hates those stories that show him to be weak and impotent. Not only that, and I'm going to pull it up in a second, um, don't forget, Lauren, who else went to church today? Joe Biden, right. So, hey, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump is, is is really, I mean, to say that he is uh, the most dangerous person that we could have in charge in this uh, moment that we've had, and of course the moment we just had with regard to the pandemic, I, I shouldn't talk about it in past tense because of course we're still dealing with it. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately for us, he snuck into office on an electoral college fluke. Um, he is a pretend person. He is a reality TV show star.
Uh, he went to some fake ass bullshit military uh, high school or something, and he thinks he's a, a tough guy, right? Uh, I, I'm sitting a foot away from a real military veteran, uh, otherwise known as my favorite nephew, uh, who actually served. Uh, his mother in the Navy, my sister Sheila, actually served. Uh, this country understands and knows what real service is. Donald Trump is a fake. He's a counterfeit. And these are the stunts that he has to pull. He's actually putting more people in danger walking across the street to the church so he can be seen uh, rather than staying in the White House or going to some golf course or going to New York or wherever he needs to be going. No, he wants to stay there approved because of his ego, as, as we just went over. And obviously, Roland, the point that you just made is perfect. Joe Biden went to a church today, African-American church. So, of course, now Trump has to somehow, you know, top that. It's nonsense. It's dangerous. This little show of force that we saw in front of the White House is dangerous. It's exactly how not to deal with the situation. It will escalate, probably get worse tonight in Washington and all these other cities. I'm sitting about 20 uh, minutes away from the Barclays Center. The New York City Police Department, uh, who I, you know, I have sort of a love-hate because I've got many members of my family in law enforcement who served in New York, but their attitude is control. Their attitude is authoritarian. Their attitude is, we're going to make sure that we're in power, we're in control of you, and we're not letting you step out of line. That is going to fail. And it's going to fail because every time something happens, whether it's Walter Scott, Philando Castile, uh, 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 Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor, now George Floyd, it's going to fail because it keeps happening and people are tired of it. And effectively, what we saw with the case of George Floyd was extrajudicial justice, which we've seen in this country with regard to black men for 400 years, and people are tired of it. Now, this is the first time, the unprecedented moment is, this is the first time we've seen it be multiracial as it is, which that should scare everybody in authority. Because before they could just say, well, it's black people, we'll just ignore them. They can't say that now. So now they have a different uh, problem on their hands because we live in a multicultural society. Right. Uh, and we'll see what happens next. Here's Joe Biden speaking today uh, at a black church in Wilmington, Delaware. Deals with the institutional structures and institutional racism, but also economic structures that need to be fixed. What the New Deal did was it left out a lot of black folks, but it made a whole lot of changes in the way we, 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 we ran the country. I think this is the next position that would significantly leap forward in terms of providing for institutional changes. For example, in education, the idea that if you're in a Title I school, your teachers are quitting because there's not enough money, they're not being paid enough money. We're short right now, a million, 500,000 teachers. It's gonna be close to three million if by, 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 by 2020. What are we gonna do? What's that gonna do? We have to raise teachers' salaries. We have to be in a position where so to provide triple funding for Title I schools if you can't want to get wonky children. You send every kid, three, four, and five years old to school, not to daycare, to school. Every great university study you probably know has demonstrated that that increases over 56% the likelihood to succeed, all, no matter what the background, no matter how poor the house. Folks, so there, I'm looking at some of the feeds here. Abby Phillips tweeted this here. Um, <laughs> What is going on? The president is posing for pictures with a Bible in his hand, and now White House staff is coming to pose with him. 
this is, I mean, Cleo, you made the point. What he's doing is he is saying to white conservative, conservative evangelicals, I'm going to protect this church. And he's saying to all the other white folks, I'm going to keep the rest of these people in their place. And this country is over 63% white. I remember Lauren and I had a short debate in 2000, late, early 2016, about that Trump could be president. And we kind of had a debate about, we disagreed. I I felt that he could be president. She felt that he couldn't. Well, we need to not underestimate things even now. Because white supremacy mythology is not rational, it's not honest, it's two-faced. Some of those people who are white, not all, I'm not saying all, but some of those people who are white that are part of this mosaic of different colors that are in the street are not really supportive of black people and are taking advantage of the moment and using social change ideas as a fashion statement for their own personal gain. And we really need to be careful. We also need to take this time beyond our own critical analysis of what's going on politically and educate our community on the importance of policy, the importance of understanding that they have power in their hands and that it doesn't stop at the presidency, that it doesn't stop at their local communities, that it's a national system that we need to pay attention to as black people and take some control. I need to hear more about that because a lot of us in this society, because of social media, jump on the popular train of what's going on without a critical analysis. People have to have a critical analysis and some political literacy about how they can make change now that they seemingly are awake. Again, yes, Trump is a trip. Trump is contrived. Trump plays games. Trump manipulates. But Trump is still the president of the United States. And those people who are out there right now in Washington, D.C., are in danger because they're in Trump land. And Trump ain't playing when it comes to protecting his ego, protecting his power, and making himself look forceful. This issue is very serious, and I know we all know that, but I do think that we're still looking at a win in terms of getting past white supremacist agendas because of how crazy they look. I'm not that convinced that we're there yet. One of the things that um, what is happening uh, is that uh, in Birmingham, it happened last night where protesters tore down a Confederate uh, statue. Um, Right now, though, uh, I want to uh, show you the, the Lincoln Project, a group of Republicans who hate Donald Trump. Uh, They put out a very powerful, powerful ad that spoke to and linked Confederate flags and these races out there with Donald Trump. Do y'all have that ready? Okay, first of all, okay, guys, I, uh, okay, I'm gonna deal with that later, fine. Show the video of the Confederate statue. This was last night in Birmingham where they brought uh, the statue down, so. Uh, they brought that one down. Now, that was one of the statues. Now, there's another much larger monument in Birmingham. Uh, and uh, the mayor, Randall Woodfin of Birmingham, this is what he told the protesters last night. First, I'm telling you simply to leave the statue alone. I, I gave you my word Tuesday at by noon, okay? Yes. Thank y'all. So Mayor Woodfin said Tuesday, look, the, Birmingham has been fighting trying to get the statue removed. The state passed a law saying no local government could remove any Confederate statues without the state's approval. I thought Republicans, they love small government and they love local control. But to link these flags and Trump, the Lincoln Project, this is the, this is the video they launched last night. Quite powerful. And I must say, Lauren, Republicans know how to do ads. Watch this. The man who followed this flag 150 years ago knew what it meant treason against their country, 
the death of a United States. America defeated the men who followed that flag. Those with honor surrendered and cast it aside forever. So why does it keep showing up today at events supporting Donald Trump? And why does he call the folks who carry it very fine people? I think there's blame on both sides, but you also had people that were very fine people. What does it say that they're all in for Trump? What does it say that he won't condemn a flag of hate, division, and losers? For us, it says this is a time for choosing America or Trump. Brittany, um, America or Trump, that's called a bumper sticker. Republicans are real good at bumper stickers. And, yeah. and, and what this group is saying, vote for America, vote for Trump. What do you think about that? Well, I'm definitely glad that they are bringing into question the Confederate flag and its connections to United States history. Obviously, you know, there are so many conservatives and Confederate flag holding people who are, you know, they have the lost cause is the reason why they say they promote this flag, that, you know, it has to do with states' rights. But, of course, we know it has nothing to do with states' rights the way in which they mean it. It was the states' rights to have and own slaves, to perpetuate and continue, you know, in, uh, in slavery. Uh, so I'm glad that they're bringing it to the forefront, if, if anything. Leo? Like you said, Roland, they know how to make ads. <laughs> uh, Democrats can take some lessons from them because they don't, when it comes to making ads, they know how to codify and America or Trump is a very powerful message. Again, I'm a little more cynical than you. I'm not sure how serious they are about not supporting Trump and his white supremacist veil. But yes. Well, they, they, I was say this group right here, this group, Lauren, they are not supporting Trump. Yeah, Stuart Stevens, Steve Schmidt, Rick Wilson, he hates them. Right. This is the George Conway, uh, uh, John Weaver, Rick Wilson group. And frankly, Steve Schmidt and them, it doesn't surprise me. When they were working uh, as Republicans on campaigns like John McCain's, they were just as good at that as they are at this. They know how to do an ad. It's tight. And even down to, like, the narrator, the voice of the narrator, everything is just perfect, yeah. the images. And I actually think that Cleo, even though I, I'm going to remain the optimist here and say that I think there's more than enough white people who understand at this point that Donald Trump is crazy. I mean, I totally agree with you. Certainly the history of our country would indicate that, of course, he has a shot at winning. Uh, but if you look at the, the, the polling and you look at the state of play with regards to the economy, I would be shocked if he pulled it off. Um, I just think that things like the Lincoln Project and George Will leaving the Republican Party and all that sort of verified to me that there's probably enough white folks out there that have figured out we can't continue to do this. I think it's going to be difficult Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. for Trump to win, but we don't know who Biden's vice is going to be yet. And I think that that's going to make a difference in terms of what, what occurs. And people still are rooting for Trump. I mean, and the polls, as we sometimes we say the polls are are BS, and sometimes when we like the polls, we say that they're that they make sense. And I'm not sure if the polls are are correct. Matter of fact, there were some polls in 2016 that implied that Donald Trump was going to win. Here's 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 the deal. Here, I'm not. Uh, the reality is, uh, this is way too early. Doesn't matter what polls say right now. Uh, when you get to September and October, that's what really matters. Uh, but I, I want to play this here. Um, a few days ago, I had a conversation 
with somebody. I, y'all, I know I call, I call Cleo super black uh, for being radical. But I would dare say Dr. Conrad Worrell is a hell of a lot more radical than even Cleo Monago. Uh, longtime leader of the National Black United Front. Uh, this is somebody who uh, if he, he proudly accepts the phrase being a black radical. He has been very sick. It's been very sick. Uh, and um, I called him to talk to him uh, just just to thank him uh, for all of his work all of these years. And uh, we had a good conversation. Uh, he thanked me for having another radical like Greg Carr on this show. But then he reached out to me and Mark Thompson and he wanted to say something. He wanted this to be on the record now. Dr. Conrad Worrell made it perfectly clear. He said, this is a black radical, a man who said he has never believed that voting is going to make a a bit of a difference. He said, point blank, the most fundamental and the most important thing for every black person in America is to vote Donald Trump out in November. Here's the conversation between Dr. Conrad Worrell, Mark Thompson, and myself. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a special exclusive collaboration between Roland Martin, Roland Martin Unfiltered, and yours truly of Make It Plain. We are honored to have a conversation with someone who's been an elder teacher and guide for so many of us, Dr. Conrad Worrell. Just briefly, Dr. Worrell is a native of Pasadena, where his father was best friends with Jackie Robinson's older brother, Mac Robinson. Uh, Conrad eventually migrated to Chicago, where he was a football and basketball and track star in high school, a veteran uh, of uh, the Vietnam era as well. He went on to earn his master's and his PhD, and ultimately be to be the director of the Center of Inner City Studies at Northeastern Illinois University. But he is most also a veteran, not only of the civil rights movement and, and SNCC for a while. He was at the 72 uh, Black Political Convention in Gary. He was chair of the National Black United Front for over two decades. One of the pioneers in the National Coalition for Blacks Reparations in America. He's been fighting for reparations. He organized the Millions for Reparations March after being one of the directors of the Millions uh, Man March in Washington, D.C. So uh, our brother has done a lot. And I should also mention he was one of the architects of Harold Washington's victory as the first black mayor of uh, Chicago. Uh, Conrad, hey, brother, you you on with Roland and me, man. How are you, brother? We love you. We're praying for you. All right. Thank you, brothers. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We, we're honored to talk to you. Um, how you, how you doing? What what are you thinking? What are you spending your time thinking about and 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 pondering? I know you have a, a special message for us and for the community. Well, right now, aside from fighting my cancer and receiving all the love from African people around the world who are lifting me up and prayer and revolutionary spiritual uplifting. I just want to say thank you. I'm I'm not, not giving up and I'm fighting my ass off. And I love you and I want to say thank you. But in in my world of in my life I have been influenced 
greatly by by history. Uh, people like Martin R. Delaney, David Walker, Edward McNeil Turner, Frederick Douglass, and many others. But coming in the age as a young man, I began to be influenced by Brother Malcolm, who helped inter internationalize the black struggle. His famous album, The Ballad of the Bullet, was classic, and we should listen to it now for instruction. This is what I've been thinking about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Roland? Uh, Conrad, there are obviously um, a lot of people are paying attention to what's happening in this presidential race. Uh, they're yes, looking sir. at what's happening with politics. Um, this whole idea of uh, African-Americans, what should we be demanding of candidates, especially on the Democratic side? Just your, your assessment of just what you're seeing, feeling, and hearing, and what we should be focused on. Okay, let me let me just say this. I'm a revolutionary. I'm a Pan-African nationalist. And I haven't been aligned with any political party in terms of loyalty throughout my whole life. But this is what I have to say. The reconstruction period that ushered in our right to vote and where we are now in this critical moment with a maniac in the in the White House, I think all black people should bury the hatchet. I know electoral politics has its limitations, but at this hour, black people need to unite and help throw Trump out of the White House, bury our hatchets, try to unify around some specific black agenda items in the back room. You specifically, say in the, you specifically say in the back room. Uh, obviously, stuff plays out differently today on social media. What I mean by that is we need to grasp something generally that we can agree upon. But more importantly, even if we don't agree, let's bury the hatchet and take Trump out. Take the man out. The man is no good for humanity. He's no good specifically for black people. This man gets reelected we're in deep trouble. Conrad. So I don't, I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So that, that's my message. My message is can we once for all bury the hatchet black people? Can we say, hey, this is a critical hour with a man telling us to take a drug that will kill us? A man that that was leading the charge against Obama not being a citizen of this country in the first place. 
a man who allies himself with the Confederate leftover vestiges of white supremacy, a man who obviously has no regard for the, the millions of people who are being affected by this virus. He's only concerned about his reelection. I mean, come on, black people. Can we unite around getting Trump out? Can we bury the hatchet immunity for this particular moment in history? Frederick Douglass, who was a civil rights advocate, and Martin Delaney, who was one of the early Pan-African nationalists during Reconstruction, they united 150 years ago. So this is a critical hour. And I'm only, I'm only pleading the black people to bury the hatchet and take Trump out. Conrad, one other question. There are some who are suggesting that if Joe Biden does not support or endorse or embrace a black agenda that we might give him, that he does actually does not deserve our vote. Is it so what is your reaction to to that suggestion? My reaction is bury the hatchet and take Trump out. The specifics of you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of clowning going on, man. You know, uh, you know our people. We don't, you know, all that, all that's nice, and we should work to make him uh, agree to some of our agenda items, and we should fight the man, and pressure the man, and do everything we can to exercise and leverage our support for Joe Biden. But all this talk about, you know, if he don't, what you gonna do? You gonna go with Trump? I'm sure some of the items that we've advocated over the years, we can force him to adopt. If we unite, if we got all this old talk before we unite, it's just it's just Negroes hollering in electoral politics trying to get famous. What uh, what jumps out uh, the most here, Conrad, is that uh, when you talk about what Trump is doing in terms of um, where we are going, one of the things that I keep making it clear to people is that if you look at the individuals who Donald Trump uh, is uh, putting on the um, federal bench. These people are going to be there for the next 40 to 50 years. So the election is not just about who wins the next four years, it's who controls the federal bench for the next uh, two generations. Hi, absolutely, Rowan. Look, there's some, what we have to understand 
is in the reformed nature of electoral politics and its relationship to black people. Uh, the, the whole, there's a wing in America of white people that want to take us back. They still, they still feel that we ought to go back to the Confederacy and that white supremacy should prevail and they should reemerge to be the power force in America. That's very clear. They want, when they say they want to take America back, what they mean is the Confederacy tradition of white supremacy where we become their property again and and they impose our, our non-humanity status of us not having any rights that a white man will respect. And they will do that in part to their Supreme Court and other federal courts throughout the nation. We need to stop. I'm, I'm just, I can't, as a revolutionary man, as a Pan-African nationalist, that not necessarily, my work has not been totally in the civil rights movement. I've been a black power advocate primarily, and I've represented a different wing. We've had two wings historically around ideas in America for black people. Ideas are weapons of war. And right now, the idea is to unite black people to take Trump out, whatever it takes, whatever our debates with each other, whatever our internal contradictions with each other, wherever our in internal differences, it is time to figure it out, bury the hatchet, and take Trump out for the future of our race of African people inside America and all humanity. My final question to you, Conrad, is this here. A young person listening to this saying, look, we appreciate what you've done. That's an old guy who's talking. What about for us, we're young, we have a different view. What would you say to that black voter who is 18 to 35 years old? I would say that I was 18 and went through the period to become 35. And I talked a lot of smack, said a lot of things. Um, but in the end, I found out in some regards in my youthfulness, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about because we weren't necessarily listening to the wisdom of the elders and the intergenerational conversation among African people inside America. I love young people. They're the next wave. So I would say to the young people, you know, I love y'all, but, but listen to your elders. Listen to your ancestors. 
don't make the mistakes of the past of of our usefulness as young people coming out of the sixties. We made a lot of errors because of our usefulness and not really reading, studying and understanding the history of the black movement and social movements in America. It's been a deep cause. So I would just urge them, the young people, to pay attention to history, pay attention to intergenerational conversation, and pay attention to the mistakes that the young people made in the 1960s. I love y'all, young people. We need y'all to help us take out Trump. Conrad, thank you, man. We uh, we love and appreciate you. Uh, and thank you for this, man. Thank you for your guidance and your eldership, brother. Okay? Love you, Doc. Yes, sir. Love you, Conrad. All right, thank you. All thank right. you so much. I love you. Thank you. All right. Take All right, care. Take care. All right. Uh, okay. So, Conrad, get you some rest, man, and we'll, we'll talk to you a little later, all right? Those were the words of Dr. Conrad Worrell uh, as he uh, is putting up a valiant fight against uh, colon cancer. The interview took place uh, eight days ago. It took place actually on the Sunday, Memorial Day Sunday, the day before uh, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. I want to go back to my panel. Um, Brittany, uh, yeah. lack, of, lack of a better phrase, those are the words of a dying man. For sure. And I think what he's saying is so important. Um, but the thing that I hope that I hope for more is that his words aren't taken out of context and that we listen to read and study alongside folks like Dr. Conrad and Dr. Greg Carr. And what do I mean by that? Um, you know, our oppression has been going on for centuries, for decades. Um, and I, and I, I'm one of those young people, right? I struggle with this notion of, well, it's just the bad apple and conversations regarding reform and electoral politics as the only answer. And I'm always like, reform is not enough, right? I'm definitely much so on their way. You know, getting more black faces in high places may lessen the blow, but it's not going to necessarily lead to our freedom. Um, the system continues to do what it was designed to do from its earliest iterations. And do not get me wrong. Black folks have fought and died at every level at every time for the right to vote. I absolutely agree with our elder. We need to vote Donald Trump out. I don't care what it is. I don't care what's going on with Joe Biden. Donald Trump cannot be in the office. But it cannot be our only tactic and means of liberation. So again, I say that, you know, not only do we need to respect our elder Dr. Conrad by listening to his call to vote Donald Trump out, but we also need to listen to him beyond this moment and listen to those intergenerational conversations and understand this system in its entirety and understanding that electoral politics is important, but it is not a means to an end and it is not our liberation. But yes, absolutely, we need to vote Donald Trump out. In the reality, Cleo, I don't think he was uh, saying that, that it's the means to an end, but the reality is this here. You can yell, holler, and scream about what policies that you want to be implemented to change but you have to have people who are in place who are actually going to present your plans and put them up. I mean, as simple as that. First of all, Roland, sincerely, thank you so much for that interview. It was powerful. Your questions were powerful and profoundly relevant. 
and it wasn't for you, and I'm not just trying to smoke, blow smoke, I'm very serious, is it wasn't for you, as many people who are going to hear Dr. the doctor who heard him would not have heard him. And it sounds like they might be hearing him on his last leg, and it was it was transformative what he said, and, and even for me. Um, I totally agree with what he when he said, bury the hatchet and work on unifying as a people, which I don't think we talk about enough these days. We are in just interracial, multicultural stuff instead of resolving black particular problems and back black particular consequences of the attack on our psyche and self-concept by the myth of white supremacy, which is also the myth of black inferiority. And these conflicts cause so much divisiveness that it's difficult for us to unify sometimes. And his message around the importance of unity is very important. We need to deconstruct that hatchet and get rid of it because, frankly, one of the reasons why Donald Trump is in the White House is because different types of white folks buried the hatchet and put him there because they wanted white people to be in demonstrative, undeniable control again, and they knew he was the man who was going to un unquestionably create that kind of agenda and effect, which he which he has done. But it's important to understand, from my perspective, that the doctor was saying that Trump is a weapon against black people. And you're always raising the issue of him putting judges on the bench who are going to be white supremacists on a policy level for generation after generation. That's important to keep on reiterating that because Donald, what Donald Trump has done to do, even if he's not elected, is make sure that he leaves his mark, that he leaves his mark for white supremacy to reign on a policy level one way or the other. And we need to understand that. But I want to reiterate what he said about the importance of us unifying and getting beyond our differences. But to unify, we have to be in dialogue about our differences. It's not going to occur just because it's a good idea. People have raised brilliant and good ideas throughout our whole struggle as people of African descent in the United States. But what has not happened enough is us having the critical focus on a unifying basis to unpack our, the barriers to our liberation and the things are getting away inside of the black community for us coming together unconditionally to some extent. We should have conditions. We should insist on integrity and a sincere commitment to black progress. But we definitely need to bury the hatchet. But again, I was very moved by that. And I want to reiterate my thanks to you for, that, for putting that brother's voice on such a big platform. Long Victoria Burke. Hey, so, you know, again, I'm the optimist here. I really think it's not really that complicated. It's money, it's power, it's control. Maynard Jackson figured it out. Uh, other African-American politicians can figure it out. You get elected, you control the money, you control the jobs, you control the decision-making. Uh, the other thing is, and I get it, Trump's in office. He's, uh, he's in office, he's duly elected. There's no argument there. But we have to remember, the majority of Americans who voted voted for Hillary Clinton. She got 2.8 million votes more than Donald Trump. Uh, so this idea that Donald Trump, you know, is, every, is the person everybody picked. No, the majority picked a person who ran a below average, average campaign run by Ma, uh, Robbie Mook, uh, didn't want to go to Michigan, didn't want to go to Wisconsin, totally blew that. And it's not to say it can't happen again. Of course, anything can happen in life. But I think it is unlikely to happen again. I'm not a big fan of this idea in our democracy, though in these moments it's certainly interesting to watch things play out right now, this idea that voting is, you know, passe. When you vote the right people in power and they know what they're doing and they know how to control the game, you can get some huge results. 
And, and people understand that, which is why they, they take so much time to block black people specifically from voting. I mean, the Republican Party effectively has that as an open policy right in front of everybody's face. So uh, we get the people in there. You know, I know, Roland, you've talked about him a lot, Maynard Jackson. I, you know, I want to say his name again and again because he's an example of somebody who understands the power game. And when you understand the power game, you can, you can make it happen for any group of people. Folks, um, Louisville. We were focused on the death of Breonna Taylor. Um, we were talking about that. But um, another tragedy, uh, David McAtee, black man, uh, was shot and killed by National Guards um, at 26 in Broadway. This is some video that's uh, from WLKY on, that's on Twitter. Uh, you'll see the video. Guys, go to my iPad, please. Thank you. Um, this has been um, stunning development there. People are, they were already in shock and pain the death of Breonna Taylor a couple of months ago. Now, this particular shooting of a man, a black man who owned a barbecue restaurant there, who often, he was killed by National Guards there, uh, police there. He was often fed cops for free. Uh, folks have been uh, protesting. Folks have been, and in fact, I'm going to pull up another video. Uh, this is a video. This is from Stephen Dingle of WLKY. This is a video here. He shot this video, folks. This is from six hours ago, and McAtee's body was still there. Uh, folks are, uh, uh, folks were uh, upset, angry. Uh, was still there at that gas station. And uh, how how major is this? Well, here's a Louisville Courier Journal. Just a few moments ago. Um, hold on one second. I'm going to pull the story up. Just a few moments ago, the mayor of Louisville fired the police chief, Steve Conrad, after the shooting and the civil uh, unrest. Uh, this was the statement from the police chief um, after the shooting of McAtee. Let me get where, where we have the audio, please. Uh, guys, go ahead and play this. A, uh, very difficult four days for our city. Our officers are working very hard to keep people safe and to protect property. While doing that, we've had officers shot at and assaulted. I think it's very, very clear that many people do not trust the police. That we're going to have to uh, work on and work through for a long time. Tonight's protests, once again, turned from peaceful to destructive. We moved quickly to disperse the crowds. At around 12.15 a.m. this morning, LMPD and National Guards units were dispatched to Dino's Food Market, located at 26th and Broadway, to clear a large crowd in the parking lot. Officers and soldiers began to clear the lot. Both LMPD and National Guards members returned fire. We have one man dead at the scene. We have several persons of interest whom we are interviewing now. We are collecting video from the incident, and we expect to release what we have sometime tomorrow. Thank you. That was the police chief in Louisville. He is fired, Brittany, as a result of how Louisville police conducted themselves in the last four days.
and especially after the death of this black man, David McAdee? You know, Roland, I think um, the National Guard and the police are doing what they've always been doing. Um, I don't know if you guys heard him say that they've been trying to protect property. And some of the and, and in fact, uh, hold tight one second. I'm sorry, Brittany. Uh, guys, go to my uh, uh, laptop, uh, go to iPad here. This is what makes it worse. On Monday afternoon, Mayor Greg Fisher fired Conrad effective immediately after learning that officers at the fatal shooting of popular eatery owner David McAdee did not have their body cameras turned on. This type of institutional failure will not be tolerated, said Fisher, who later added that an immediate change in leadership is required. Brittany, this is the thing that I have been saying constantly. If you're going to have body cameras and those cops don't turn them on, fire those officers. Fire them. This chief has lost his job. He's been there for eight years. Uh, and um, he was supposed to. He announced last month, according to this Louisville Courier Journal story, that he was going to retire at the end of June amid increasing pressure in the wake of a different fatal shooting that of Breonna Taylor. Mayor said, no, you're gone now. Roland, this is this is petrifying, and which is why I say I know we talk a lot about reforms and policing, and we say that it's bad apples, and he's saying, you know, this is an institutional failure, and it is an institutional failure. And you know what I was saying earlier is if you were listening to the chief speak, he specifically said, you know, we've been do we've been out here trying to protect protect the people, but protect property. And you know, some of the earliest iterations of policing in this country were related to the slave patrol doing what? Protecting their property. And when we talk about the mantra of police as protecting and serve, we're missing the second half of that statement, which is to protect and serve the interests of the ruling class. And that's why you don't see the National Guard mobilized when you see black bodies that have been dying for centuries, decades at the hands of police or community watch. But you do see it when it comes down to destroying property and interfering with the flow of capital. So these folks are doing everything possible to end the protest, which is their constitutional right. So things can go back to business as normal. But we know it's not going to stop. And business is not going to go back to normal because people don't even have jobs. Typically, we see a lot of these things broken up because people have to go back to work. You know, we have our morning, we have our protest and we go back. But that's not going to happen this time. People don't have jobs to go back to. And even then, we know this is an institutional thing. It's so much. I mean, we really have to look at this from an institutional perspective from its earliest iterations because only about 100 corrupt officers have faced homicide charges for their on-duty conduct since 2005 but but 35 of those could only 35 of those were convicted as of 2019 and a 2019 report that i saw earlier today said police violence is now one of the leading causes of death for black people in the united states this isn't this is its own epidemic lauren yes well you know, what would change the game here with regard to American policing, of course, is uh, the criminal prosecution of police officers who uh, who do something such as uh, Officer Chauvin, a former Officer Chauvin. That's what changes the game. There has to be criminal prosecution. Up until now, what we've had is uh, cities paying out damage awards to families who have won a civil case. And until that paradigm has changed where you're making an individual person pay a price for an individual act, we're just going to see this over and over again. Um, the other thing I would say is that it is interesting to watch the Atlanta example with the two students from, uh, uh, from the HBCUs, uh, uh, the two students who were 
I mean, there was a violent use of force incident, of course, ended up going viral on national TV, and the two cops were immediately fired. We see this police chief immediately fired, even though he was going to retire soon. But still, that's unusual, in my view, because typically what happens is there is some sort of internal affairs review. There's the union talking. There's all that. We're starting to short-circuit that. And that, to me, is real change we have not seen before. You typically don't see that. Uh, we still have this uh, unfortunate situation, obviously, in Minneapolis, where these other three cops have not been arrested, which I do think is is strange, quite frankly. And you have a prosecutor standing in the way that is blocking probably that prosecutor. With Keith Ellison in charge of the prosecution, that may change as well. Uh, so, but this this immediate firing that that's unusual. Usually, that doesn't happen. I would say that you know we saw these incidents in New York with regard to the uh, cars driving into the people. If you see people get fired immediately on that or anything, that's when you know real change is coming. Because to me, New York and Chicago are the two hardest departments to crack in this country with regard to policing culture and control, and them not not wanting to accept any evaluation whatsoever of their conduct. So keep an eye on. Chicago and New York with regard to what happens next. David James, who's the president of the Louisville City Council. Uh, Councilman James, welcome to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thank you, Roland. Uh, folks obviously are shocked and stunned with the shooting death of David McAdee. The mayor is fired, the police chief. Um, can you get, what happened last night? What, can you tell us, I mean, what, why did the police all of a sudden just start firing into the audience? And, and also, was he hit with a rubber bullet or were they actually firing real bullets? He was. Um, so I don't know if he was hit by rubber, by paint. They were firing paintballs, I was told at first. And then he got shot with real bullets that actually killed him. Um, I, and I'm still trying to figure out why. I'm trying to figure out why my friend's dead, quite frankly. How long did you know Mr. McAfee? Tell us, for the folks who don't uh, know, I was national, who who he was, and, and he was so important. Uh, so many people are flooding the social media, talking about how he was just a loving, kind man who gave to all in his barbecue restaurant. Absolutely. He gave to everybody. I've known him about 10 years or so. Um, he cooked at uh, an event I had every year. Um, he's just an outstanding guy. He's, he loved everybody. He's a great family man. He loved his family. He loved the community. He would even... Uh, give free food to the police officers that would stop through there on the beat and talk to him all the time. Um, he, he's, he's just, I can't tell you what a nice person he was. Um, are you, where are you right now? Are you actually at the scene where the shooting took place? No, I just left there just about uh, 30 minutes ago. I was there earlier. So were they trying to enforce a curfew? Were they trying to disperse the crowd? I mean, what, what happened there? Um, they, I don't know what they're going to do down there. I, I've been trying to get some clarity from the mayor about what his intentions are. Uh, but uh, the mayor has imposed a curfew. And I'm told uh, by many, many people that were there last night when um, David was killed that um, they, someone said to him uh, that he should be uh, in because of the curfew. I don't know that yet. I'm still trying to verify it. But so what I'm still trying to understand again, um, that, that the mayor apparently fired the police chief because the cops who fired, uh, who fired on him were not wearing their body cam videos. Was, was he killed by Louisville police officers or by national guard? That's what we're trying to figure out. I'm, I have not been told that yet. So I do not know. 
I do know that the mayor did fire the chief finally uh, because the officers did not have their body cameras turned on. Uh, my understanding is they had them on their bodies, but they never actually activated them. And is that departmental city policy that cops Absolutely. are to have their body cameras on at all time? Because is, is that they're, policy? They're, they're supposed to turn it on the moment that they get the run. They receive their run on the radio. They're supposed to turn it on. But that didn't happen. And I'm trying to figure out why it didn't happen, why a supervisor did not enforce that that take place. Uh, just like the case with Breonna Taylor, I'm trying to figure out why a supervisor didn't catch that that search warrant hadn't been updated since January 21st. Uh, it's just a total failure of leadership. Wait a minute. So you're saying that the Breonna Taylor search warrant had not been updated for two months? Had not been updated for two months. January 21st was the last time it was updated. Wow. Um, I have long said that if a cop, if his policy to turn that body camera on and they don't, that officer should be fired. Whether it's a dash cam or a body camera. Because it's there, and, and the body camera is there to protect the police officer as well as the citizen when something goes Absolutely. down. And, you know, the, the chief, uh, when we put the body camera policy in place, uh, he allowed the narcotics unit not to have body cameras because they said they didn't want to, which doesn't make sense to me. And so with Breonna Taylor's shooting, we don't have body camera footage. And on this shooting now, we don't have body camera footage. Wait a minute. They didn't have the body cameras on during the Breonna Taylor shooting? No. There were no body cameras during the Breonna Taylor, Breonna Taylor shooting. Absolutely correct. Okay. My, sorry to have my mouth is wide open. Absolutely. It should be. It's amazing. We were showing a video. We were showing some video there just how people are responding to this. I know there's a curfew, but clearly this shooting death is going to further inflame Absolutely. the situation in Louisville. Absolutely. It will. And uh, people are, are hurt to their core. Hurt to their core. I know it has to be hard for you, sir, losing a friend, losing somebody who was important to the city. Um, our condolences go to you. Thank you. Go to Louisville. And look, all black people are calling for is just justice. And absolutely. It, and if you're a cop, you do what's right. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. Um, these two shootings have rocked our community. Um, black people in Louisville are hurt. They're angry. They want change and they want justice. And, uh, the mayor needs to hear. Council President David James, I appreciate you joining us at Roller Button Unfiltered. Thank you. Um, Roland? Cleo. Um, this is a response to that, but it's also a response to what Lauren said earlier about these cases where there's immediate firing. And she's right, she is being an optimist. I look forward to becoming an optimist like that one day myself. But this country is bigger than New York. It's bigger than St. Louis. And you just found out that when Brianna was murdered, there were no, no body cams. And the only reason we know about this is because it made it to the national square and the police chief got on, on media and we heard about this 
and the mayor reacted. The mayor probably already knew about Brianna's case. It already knew that this was a groundswell that might swell up in his face and hurt him. So he nipped it in the bud for a man who's getting ready to retire. I, I, I don't know if I'm cynical or just intuitive regarding the fact that this is not necessarily a cultural shift that these high profile immediate firings have occurred because they were high profile. I, before the coronavirus, I was constantly traveling and hearing about horrible local stories of police brutality and murder of black people that never ever made the national stage. I've heard of stories, including in Baltimore, where cops were stepping on the, the cell phones of people they were gonna victimize. So, and of course, there was no body camera in those incidents, so, so they cannot tell. You said something that I thought was very profound because it sounds so simple. You said all black people want is justice. Well, we've been wanting justice for going on three centuries. That's irrelevant to the irrational white supremacist mind. That's irrelevant to people who think manifest destiny is real and they deserve to be supreme over everybody else. They don't care about the death of George Floyd. They don't care about what D Dylan Roof did. They don't care about these things. So I think it's important that while we evaluate these things from a lens that is rational, that we are real clear about the interact, the, the two-facedness, the schizophrenia, the, and the deceptionness of how white, deceptivity of how white supremacy works, and work harder on social change, work harder on black unity, work harder on political literacy, because we can't trust these white folks. And of course, Mr. Fisher did what he did, but I think it was politically motivated. It wasn't necessarily because of a change of heart or a change in this country. Um, Brittany, to listen to the pain in that councilman's voice, losing uh, a friend of his, I mean, not even 20 hours ago, um, on top of the Breonna Taylor, and to hear again another set of cops refusing to turn their body cameras on, and that it, it's it's just it's and, and I'm I'm trying to figure out why in the hell. Okay, again, I've seen the f photos of people who've been damaged by rubber bullets, but you're firing actual ammo into crowds of protesters. At, at this point, you know, when we know we're, we're a police state, because um, the ability to stop, you know, the democracies or or the freedoms that we say that we have to, you know, protest are quickly being quelled by any means necessary um, is beyond frightening. And I and I like the point that Cleo made about the white supremacist mind because I think about this often when we talk about reforms. And I'm not saying I have a solution here um, for the police state, but how do you stop the white mind from seeing black skin as a threat? You know, the police already have de-escalation techniques. We see them used on white mass shooters all the time. They get taken in without a scratch. Police training is, I don't know if that's a full-on solution to this, Roland. I, I don't have the answer here, but I think it's a bit more complex. And it hurt me. It hurt me to see that brother so upset, honestly. It, it hurt me, and it hurt to see all of us um, so frustrated having some of the same conversations we've had for centuries and centuries and you know, let me just say I thank you because you bring these conversations to the forefront. You bring these guests to the forefront and give us an opportunity to really strategize and think through what next steps are. Yeah, you know what? Lauren, uh, you come from a family of law enforcement. Um, mm -hmm. And how hard is it, click, to turn a camera on? Well, it's very easy. <laughs> to me, it should be an obstruction of justice charge level against a police officer that doesn't turn his camera on. Uh, we do have to have national standards for this. Uh, you know, you're never going to get me to say with as many cops as I have in my family that uh, police work is not complicated. Of course it's complicated. The police 
are a uh, byproduct. They are part of our society like everybody else. And every profession has its idiots. And we come from a country of 400 years of racism. The police department is not immune from that. It just so happens that their job involves a license to kill. So when they make a mistake, that mistake can be fatal. Okay, so it's not like being an accountant. Mistake. You know, I get what Cleo is saying with regard to white supremacy. I understand the history of this country, but let's be honest with ourselves here. We can get a result if we want a result. Okay, our American military, which is often put in a much more set of dangerous circumstances overseas, uh, with people that don't look like them, uh, don't have these problems, right? Because if you if you do something stupid overseas with somebody and you kill them, uh, some extrajudicial justice, you pay a price for that because the standards are high in our military. I would say the standards are much higher in our military than they are for civilian police in the United States. We basically don't have any standards for civilian police in the United States. These smaller departments do whatever the hell they want. That's why Michael Brown gets shot eight times for absolutely nothing, right? And his body's laying in the street all day and all this other nonsense. So if you have standards and you apply those standards and you punish people who are bad actors, you will get a result. And we've seen that in our military. We should apply that to our police. We don't have those standards because, quite frankly, the police control the political game very well. And the reason I bring up New York and Chicago is they control it very well in these cities where you have mayors like Rudy Giuliani and Bill de Blasio who want to bend over for the police force instead of thinking about the good of the of the citizenry at large, which they're not particularly good at. We watched Stop and Frisk uh, under Giuliani, which there was one year, I think it was 2013 or 14, where 600,000 people were stopped in a violation, clear violation of Fourth Amendment. Okay, it was like 80, 90 percent black and Latino, and nobody said anything. Now, these conservatives who want to talk about less government and due process said absolutely nothing for 12 years. It wasn't until the ACLU sued, stopped that from happening. So you can get a result if you want a result. We do it with our military, we do it with other things. You have to make individuals pay a price. Our military makes individuals pay a price when they make mistakes, a heavy price. And we know what that history is, the Mylay massacre, and we go on and on with that. We don't do that with civilian police. We let them do whatever they want, and we get the results that, that we earn from that. Got it. Folks, um, I, I real quick, I literally 30 seconds. Lauren, you have police officers in your family, and I've been trained and been through the full training of the Deputy Sheriff Department in East Los Angeles. And there are guidance. There is training around how to deal with the public, and there are controls. There's guidance but for those, no punishment. But those controls are often trumped by people's attitudes and people's subjectivity and people's agenda in terms of why they put on the police outfit. But I think, but hold on, but I'll say this, but I'll say this to Lauren's point. The difference is when you look at the punishment that's meted out, the military, it is clear cut. They're not perfect. But part of the problem, there are far too many loopholes and what you don't have between the military and the police you don't have the unions dealing with the military, the police unions and those contracts uh, that, look, look, uh, Samuel Singawe had the report, 46% of the cops in Minneapolis who got fired got their jobs back because of arbitration. Go uh, Real quick, Lauren, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that, look, in the military, it's understood what the rules are. They tell everybody what the rules are, okay? <laughs> and when you, when you violate the military those rules... Too. 
you're gonna play that. You're gonna pay that price. And what I'm telling you, with American I policing, there are no set standards for American policing. Every department can do whatever they want. We see the results. You know, I'm dating a federal cop now. He doesn't. They have a, a much stricter set of standards. If you notice, you're not hearing a whole lot of stuff in the news about federal police officers making mistakes, like shooting people off duty, because they're trained. They're weeded through. The, the groups, the guys that they pick have to per practically be perfect by the time they get hired. These smaller departments often are the problem. And also, what Roland just said, what you just said, Roland, about unions and the way they control the political game and the mayors, that's, that's the whole true. ball game, particularly for these bigger cities. Gotcha. Folks, I got to leave it there. Uh, we uh, we got to go. I certainly want to thank Lauren, Brittany, and Cleo for joining us, uh, as well as Louisville C Council President uh, David James, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. Uh, thank you so very much as well. Folks, there were several other guests that we had we had to cancel because of the breaking news. Uh, we're going to have Troy Beyer, the actress who has a whole mental health um, component that she's been working on that's really important right now. We're going to reschedule her. Folks, please support what we do. Your dollars make it possible for us to have this black-owned independent platform to be able to do the interviews like we did with Dr. Conrad Worrell. Really important. We're going to push that out as soon as we're done uh, so you can hear that. Support us via Cash App, folks, at Cash App, uh, dollar sign, uh, RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered, and also uh, venmo.com forward slash rm unfiltered. If you want to send us a cashier's check uh, or a money order, do so. New Vision Media, Inc., NU Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 20006. Uh, again, folks, uh, join our Bring the Funk fan club. Our goal is to get uh, 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the year. That's $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Support what we do at this show, being able to give you stuff that you're not going to get on mainstream media. That's why we do what we do, and nobody else does this on the digital side. And so please support us. Uh, look, we don't, you know, look, it's free. We're out here on YouTube. Nearly 6,000 of you are watching right now. Just in perspective, if the 6,000 people who are watching us right now uh, on uh, YouTube, if those folks uh, actually gave more than 1,200 uh, on uh, Facebook, we would double the number of people who support our show, and we would actually be only 5,000 or so away from our 20,000 goal. And so please, we ask you to support us any way that you can. Uh, the folks who have given, contributed 50 bucks or more, I'm going to read the names tomorrow. Uh, it's a much longer list, but I'll read those tomorrow because we had to get all the breaking news in. Uh, and also, folks, and I, I was going to let it go longer, but I got to cut it off because we're in a curfew in Washington, D.C., and I got to make sure that my staff gets to their cars and home safely in the middle of this curfew. All right, folks, uh, we shall see you tomorrow. Take care. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio Music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.